Hello and welcome to The Wound Doctors, a podcast series dedicated to the study and improved treatment of wounds. These episodes are brought to you by Convitec, pioneering trusted medical solutions to improve the lives they touch. My name's Rod Murray, and as a medical novice, I play the important role of a completely ignorant ying to the all-knowing yang of my co-host and the real brains behind this operation, Dr. Francis Henshaw. Dr. Fran, you always seem to find something new and interesting to do with wounds. I've had a little peek at the show notes today, and it seems like you're going to deliver again. Tell the listeners who we're speaking to today and tell them what we'll be speaking to that person about. Hello, Rod. Well, today it's very exciting and I have a little bit of trepidation, I have to say, um, and that's on two fronts. Firstly, it's because we're actually talking about rheumatological disease and that's a really hard word for me to say. <laughs> so, you know, I'm already behind the eight ball. And then we have a stellar guest in Professor Debbie Turner from QUT, who happens to be an expert in rheumatological disease, which has made me have to say that word again. So, Debbie, welcome. Thank you, Fran. Nice to be here. Thank you for the invite. And so Debbie, like myself, is a podiatrist by trade. And um, I went down the road of looking at diabetic foot ulcers. And Debbie spent a lot of time looking at how rheumatological disease affects the feet. So Debbie, just give us the headline, I suppose. What is rheumatological disease and how does it affect people? Oh, well, um, rheumatic diseases are, um, are really autoimmune and inflammatory conditions. Um, and for some reason, in some individuals, it causes the immune system to attack um, often joints, but it, it can affect muscles, uh, bones and internal organs as well. So often when we're talking about rheumatic diseases, we use the term arthritis. So the prefix um, arth or arthro um, means joint, but it can also mean the junction between two different parts. So when we're thinking about arthritis, uh, whilst it can predominantly affect joints, it will often affect areas in the body where two different types of tissue connect with each other. So often where we have tendon insertions. When we think about these conditions, we often put them into broad groups. But generally, when we consider those broad groups and specific subsets, you're looking at over 200 different conditions. So it's a really, really broad area. So to try and make it a little bit easier to understand, uh, we might think about inflammatory arthritis. And when we consider inflammatory arthritis, we might say seronegative and seropositive. So those would be conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, which is seropositive, and conditions like psoriatic arthritis or reactive arthritis, which would be classed as seronegative. Right. So by seronegative and seropositive, I presume you mean that they can find markers in your blood if it's seropositive. Yes. Yeah. So, so seropositive would be the presence of rheumatoid factor. Got you. Then we've got a broad group of conditions called connective tissue disorders that will include conditions like, and you'll like this one, Fran, because this is tricky to say as well, oh, um, systemic sclerosis, often referred to as scleroderma, we have a condition called systemic erythematosus, systemic lupus erythematosus. You can understand people refer to that as lupus yes. or SLE. And we have a spectrum of hypermobility spectrum disorders as well. And that might include conditions like Marfan's and Ellis-Danlos. 
And then we have some conditions which are crystal arthropathies and conditions in that group might be things like gout and pseudogout. So it's really broad. It is because you always just think about rheumatoid arthritis, but obviously there's lots of other conditions. And we know that people who get these conditions get more of their fair share of wounds. Why is that? Well, it's often because this abnormal autoimmune response, which often is in people that we class as being genetically susceptible. And there's often this environmental trigger. Uh, Very often that will be infection, but it can be other things like exposure to certain chemicals or drugs, which can kind of exacerbate this abnormal um, immune response. And it can affect the joints, but it can also affect internal organs. Um, So we can have involvement of the kidneys, we can have uh, increased susceptibility to peripheral arterial disease. We can have involvement of the lungs, the gastrointestinal tract. And all of these things, as you'll be aware, can have an influence on tissue viability and can increase the susceptibility um, to the development of wounds. But very often it's the arthritis that causes deformity. And then as a consequence, we might get high pressure points. And that's often the site where ulcers will develop. Lay question, where would that be? Where typically might you see that? Is it Well, um, it's it's difficult sometimes to, to be quite broad around this because they where we might find ulcers will differ dependent on the condition that we're oh. talking about. So um, in conditions like scleroderma or gout, uh, very often we'll find ulcers will occur over uh, deposits of uh, calcium, so calcinosis in scleroderma or tofu which is their collection of uric acid in soft tissues. And that's a prime site for ulceration in those groups of patients. Feet? Feet? In, I think in of feet, gout, I think yeah, of it can be. Often tophi will tend to form on areas of the body that are a bit colder. And so you'll often tend to get them uh, on the tips of the nose, uh, around the ear, but often you'll get them on the ends of fingers and toes. And those can be quite common. Tophi can also um, occur in major tendons, so it's not uncommon for them to be found in the Achilles tendon. We can often find them uh, under the heel as well. So there seems to be a temperature factor potentially people have never really quite identified it but there's some suggestion that maybe the crystals deposit out um, a little bit more when the temperature drops down so these are our peripheries they're colder but also there might be an influence for mechanical stress as well which explains some of the weight bearing areas follow-up lay question does the wound tell us to look for the rheumatological condition or do we know somebody has that first and the wound is something that's come after? Am I making sense with that question? With with things like um, TOFI, very often, if you look at the literature, the suggestion is, is that people are likely to develop TOFI formation about 10 years after um, the onset of the disease of gout. So it's, you know, it is potentially possible that someone could develop a, a wound and when you get into there, it looks the exudate, the, the discharge that comes out looks quite different. And, and then perhaps a sample might suggest that there's uric acid crystals in there. But that would probably be less common a presentation. Very often the people will, will get the condition ulceration will tend to occur more commonly in people that are generally considered to be poorly controlled. Now, I have to say, Debbie, within wounds themselves, 
diabetes always gets the spotlight, doesn't it? You know, people with diabetic foot ulcers get a lot of attention. There's whole clinics that are um, devoted to looking after these people. I think that rheumatological disease and the ulcers that are associated with this is actually quite a hidden, um, you know, it's much less common that people consider rheumatological disease and ulcers together. And what actually inspired me to to grab you in for this podcast was I was on LinkedIn and David Armstrong, who's a very well-known diabetes researcher in wounds, uh, actually posted about a paper where they looked at um, rheumatology wounds and found that they actually took longer to heal than diabetic foot ulcers. So this really shows that there's a magnitude of problem here that's, especially in Australia, perhaps not very well recognised. Would you agree with that? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I would agree with that. Why we think that there's this hidden burden of disease, um, that might in part uh, relate to not only around ulcers. What we know around some of these conditions is there is just generally a later diagnosis. So there is poor awareness of a lot of the conditions. You know, if we've got 200 plus conditions and some of them have quite distinct clinical entities, it's no surprise that people are not necessarily always looking for them. Um, I had a conversation uh, with a rheumatologist and uh, we've been working with uh, Arthritis Australia to try and raise the profile of health professionals' understanding of rheumatic conditions. And to put it into context, a GP might diagnose a child with arthritis maybe once or twice in their career. So one of the problems with um, rheumatic wounds is um, there's just generally a poor, poor awareness of the conditions per se. So then to expect people to link the condition with an increased risk of ulceration is then that second step. So it's no surprise that, that people don't make that connection. Then I think there's a challenge of where these people go. So I worked in the UK where podiatry is embedded within the rheumatology outpatient services. And we developed an ulceration clinic in our rheumatology outpatient service. And that clinic very quickly went from one dedicated clinic every two weeks uh, to a full day every week. And very often these patients will be managed by a multitude of different people, dermatology, perhaps their rheumatologist, their GP, uh, nursing. Um, so there isn't that nice, well-signed post service for them to get into, like uh, a high-risk foot service for someone with diabetes. So then we, we don't have research, so we don't know how truly prevalent some of these conditions are. And then we don't have research in terms of um, the most effective intervention strategies either. So there's a lot of unanswered questions. And, and in my time looking at people with rheumatology related ulcers, one of the things I really re- recall is that they actually suffered a lot, didn't they? Absolutely. Um, to um, factors that you perhaps need to consider is unlike a lot of the wounds that we might focus on with people with diabetes, which might be neuropathic wounds, The wounds with patients with rheumatological conditions will often have significant levels of pain. So that makes them different. Very often you might have complex deformities. So a lot of the traditional dressings are just not fit for purpose. They're too bulky. You know, you've got really tight spaces or um, toes that are not moving. So that's a challenge 
patient's ability to perhaps self-manage is different because if they've got significant deformity in their feet, chances are they've got them in their hands as well. Um, we've then got to consider the impact of medications. And you refer to David Armstrong um, recognising that DMARDS extended that healing time. It absolutely does, but it increases infection risk. And if um, patients need to have their medications altered because of the infection risk, which can be the case with some of the newer biologic drugs, you've also got to consider that it has then a detrimental impact to their arthritis as well. So this is a bit of a balancing act that they've got to to try and get right, isn't it? Because if you give them lots of drugs to make their arthritis under control, their chances are that you're going to suppress their immune system to the point that if they have a wound, it's not going to heal very well. But then if you take them off their arthritis drugs to heal their wound, they'll probably have a big flare of their disease. So it's a really, really complicated situation, isn't it? Yeah. And the other thing you've got to think of, Fran, is just the challenges around assessment as well. So what would you, I'll ask you the question, what would you look for if you were trying to determine if a wound was infected? Oh, I felt terrified for a minute there when you said you were going to ask me a question. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a spelling um, question, spell rheumatology. <laughs> um, but I think you would look for things like heat and you would look for redness and you would you know, there's these classic signs of inflammation at, that you would look for and then you would look for things like pus and pain. And yeah, there's a whole plethora of things that you would imagine would give you the signpost that something has an infection. Why do you ask? Well, because when you think about the medications that this group of uh, patients are on, which often are those to suppress the um, uh, immune system, i.e. reduce inflammation, one of the challenges that you have when you're looking for signs of infection is a lot of those cardinal signs of infection are missing because of the medications that they're on. So this is really important, isn't it? Because we expect when someone's got an infection that they're going to come in with this big red hot swollen foot and you can say that's an infection, you need to do X, Y and Z. So these people could actually be coming very unwell without anybody knowing it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly the challenge. So I think one of the the differences of dealing uh, with wounds in this group of patients is that you would be looking for those really subtle signs. So you mentioned around um, exudate, for for example. So perhaps one of the only signs that someone might have an infection is there might be a slight increase in the amount of exudate if the activity level has been, you know, comparable. Um, so those would be the, the things that you would look at. So perhaps um, you would rely on swabbing wounds more often right. in this group of patients and to try and get an indicator as to whether things might be in, infected or not. And then, yeah, in, in diabetes, for example, you might have an idea of what you expect that that um optimum healing time to be and you're looking for a reduction in wound size one of the challenges with this group of patients is we just haven't got that empirical data right. to suggest you know what our average healing time is or what we would be expecting so it's a really challenging area to to work in. it is isn't it so we've got these people we don't know what their trajectory should look like because we don't have enough data this yeah. paper that's just been published suggests that their um, prognosis is maybe worse than people with diabetic foot ulcers and they don't even have the signs of infection so we've got lots of challenges here I have to just ask you um, this is just uh, your opinion Debbie 
if somebody is less likely to be showing signs of infection, would you be more inclined to use, say, a topical antimicrobial as a, a belt and braces approach? Potentially, yeah. I, I mean, I think really... The continuity of care, I think, becomes really, really important. Um, in my experience of working with this group of patients as well is um, they're often really good at knowing when things are not as they should be. They, this is a group of patients that will be used to having high levels of pain. Um, so sometimes relying on, um, you know, those cardinal signs, so differences in the context of their overall disease. So what we know is that um, when we look at measures of disease activity generally, it's difficult if you're out in clinical practice without access to bloods and so on. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, what we do know is that patient-reported disease activity often correlates quite well with our combined metrics where they might be using, um, you know, a combination of uh, some of their measures like ESR or CRP um, combined with a, a patient's global assessment plus tender and swollen joint counts. So patients are often the best um, resource in terms of being able to tell you whether they think that it's changed. And, and I would often take a lot of credence in terms of what the patients would say, whereas I'm, I'm not so sure sometimes when you're dealing with people with diabetes, whether you would put that amount of confidence in, in, in what. So, you, you know, developing that partnership working um, with them. But other challenges with these wounds is the wounds are often undermined. So, you know, you have a small opening, but it's 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 really extensive underneath. Often you'll probe to bone because of the deformities. So a lot of those things of probing to bone, high suspicion of osteomyelitis, you'd send for an X-ray and the X-ray will come back and say, cannot exclude the possibility of osteomyelitis because of the damage. That's it. The joints often look so crumbled from the arthritis that you can't actually tell whether there's a bone infection there or osteomyelitis. So it's really a very specialised um, art to look after these people. And I agree with what you say with people with diabetes, they can't feel their feet most of the time. So they can't really give you any information about what's going on. But these people um, with rheumatological disease tend to be younger, I think, and they tend to have more of a, a handle on things. So, you know, what do we need to do to improve the lot for people with rheumatological disease and, and wounds? I think one of the key things is improving awareness. I think there's a lot of variability in terms of the coverage generally of rheumatological conditions in undergraduate health, um, you know, professional undergraduate programs like podiatry even, but uh, physiotherapists who might be seeing these patients on a regular basis, plus also nursing. And to a certain extent, uh, limited coverage in some of the uh, medical curriculum as well. So raising awareness, um, I would say more collaboration and more research. We need to understand these wounds better. Um, it would be absolute starting points yeah. uh, um, in terms of improving uh, the, the lot for these patients. So, you know, it, we have touched upon the fact that there is not much highlighting of this problem within Australia. Can you direct us to any resources that healthcare professionals might be able to get some information if they wanted to know a little bit more about this? 
Yeah, uh, so Arthritis Australia is a really uh, good website which has information both for patients but also healthcare professionals. I would say probably in terms of more comprehensive information uh, versus Arthritis, which is a UK charity. They're the fourth largest medical charity in the UK, and they have heavily invested into the development of resources for healthcare professionals. What you can also do is sign up um, and as a health professional and get regular updates. So if new research has come out, then, you know, uh, you can get like an email notification of just a summary. And that's what this charity do really well is the fact that they will look at perhaps lots of research that comes out. We're not talking about wound care at this point, but just generally across the rheumatic conditions. And often what they will do is um, go through a peer review process and put it into really logical resources that that are designed to help you in, in clinical practice so you know so they that do the, that really well yeah so you know the information you're getting from those sources is reliable um so debbie i'm, I'm really fascinated about you know this idea of these people really being the most trusted source of what's going on with their wound is the is the person could you tell us a story perhaps about a person that you've looked after who had a rheumatological ulcer and just give our our listeners a flavor of um how it impacted their life um oh the the there are numerous patients that i um can think about in terms of um i guess the ability to overcome challenges I think that partnership working is really, really important. And I think that you've got to be prepared to work outside the box. So, you know, if we considered a wound and it's on a uh, the plantar aspect of a foot and we know that high pressure is a factor and we know that we need to offload it, very often we might consider, um, for example, some of the um, offloading boots like the air casts. So you might consider that. Then the next thing that you've got to consider is that it's too heavy for the person because they've got a knee deformity. They have got hand deformity, so they can't put them on. So it's often a way of working with someone in terms of getting over these kind of challenges. So it might be you recognise that going from an air cast long to an air cast short is possibly something that... Uh, a patient might be able to manage because it's not too weighty for them so that that that's something that they can manage it might be that you um, have discussions around a patient sleeping in a device whereas normally patients wouldn't do that um, but if they physically have difficulty you know getting it on and off and they have someone at home that might be able to help them at certain times um, then those are the kind of levels of conversations that you would have with patients to actually allow them to get over a lot of these um, barriers. So it really comes back to something that I love banging on about in these podcasts, which is personalised care, isn't it? There is not a one size fits all opportunity for these people. And because everybody is kind of the master of their own destiny, I think you have to really work very closely with these people. You have to understand their ideas, their concerns, their expectations. And that way, you can put together a a programme of care and, um, and hopefully get happy endings. Yeah, and building confidence, Fran, I think is is really important. Um, it doesn't really matter which condition you look at. Generally, if you look at qualitative research, most patients will describe this 
concept of feeling that the health professionals don't understand enough about the disease and how it impacts them on that individual level. So the partnership working and, and exactly that person-centred care is absolutely essential, but also effective transdisciplinary working as well. Um, it might be that you're needing to link with the dermatology team. It might be that you are thinking that perhaps a wound edge might need a biopsy um, because um, you're perhaps thinking that there might be some underlying vasculitis that might need to be kind of diagnosed and managed. It might be that you're needing to deal with the vascular team because we have peripheral arterial disease. It might be that you need to have a conversation with the rheumatologist to see whether there are any modifications to their medications, particularly the biologic drugs with infection risk. So I think really the key thing is, is about getting better knowledge and understanding about the diseases um, and how they can impact the person and then working really closely with the person that um, is impacted by a wound to try and get the best outcome for them. Well, Debbie, I think you've just given us ideas for about three more podcasts there. <laughs> Vasculitis, we could go on about that for forever, the peripheral arterial disease that these people have. It's all, you know, it's all really unturned stones at the moment. So thanks for your expertise and insight. What have you got to say, Rod? Have you learned something today? I've never spoken so little on this podcast. I've been fascinated. You know, I knew almost nothing about it. I'd heard the word rheumatology before, knew nothing about it. I'm now terrified of it, which leads me to ask, Debbie, is it something that's preventable or is it just a lottery? Are you just unlucky to get this or are there things, the lifestyle choices we make which increase our risk factors? Again, these are emerging areas from a research um, Just be So what we know with a lot of these conditions is they do tend to, um, you have a, an increased chance if you have a close family member, um, and that's that genetic susceptibility. But you can have a genetic susceptibility and never go on and develop the condition. There are certain things that are not good. So say, for example, if you have rheumatoid arthritis, and it's seropositive and you smoke, we know that that really impacts the prognosis in, in a negative way. Um, Is there anything that smoking does not make worse, it seems to me, in medicine? It's yeah, just I don't a, think smoking's a good idea. It's a horrendous thing. Yeah, I think they established that a while back, yeah, didn't they? So, indeed. Sorry, I interrupted you there, Debbie, I shouldn't have. No, no, no. But um, so, no, there aren't particular um, uh, things that um, would necessarily, I guess, from a lifestyle perspective, increase your chance. Uh, with some of the conditions, um, there's certainly been studies where they have shown higher increases around certain industries. Um, so there's quite a high proportion um, of people with some of the connective tissue disorders, um, particularly around places like Birmingham in the UK. And that uh, they think that that, you know, is related to some of the industries where there's been exposure to certain chemicals. Oh, wow. um, so there's those kind of factors. But no, it's not necessarily something that you can try and prevent per se, unfortunately. What a bottomless pool, this medicine. So this is just one tiny part of medicine. And even just here, we could devote every resource we have in the country, couldn't we? And we wouldn't solve this problem next week because the more you know, the more you don't know, it seems, with all of these topics almost. It's just endlessly fascinating. Absolutely. I just think it's fantastic that, you know, there is a little bit of increased awareness through this podcast. So I'm, I'm really pleased yeah. um, to have been invited on and to be able to talk about. I, I often get to asked to talk about rheumatology generally, 
um, but it's less common to be asked to talk about the wound care side of things. So I've really enjoyed the opportunity to come in and just try and increase a little bit of awareness oh, of it. So that's, that's great. great to hear, Debbie. And, um, you know, I've learned so much today and I've worked with Debbie, you know, day in, day out for for about six years. We worked together, but there's still plenty of uh, pearls of wisdom that you 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 shared with us today that I had no idea of. So, yeah, I think at Convertech, you know, we really do aim to have this podcast to uh, highlight these kind of things that healthcare practitioners might encounter all the time. But probably unless it's highlighted to them, they don't really realise the magnitude of the problem. So you've done a great job in helping us to raise awareness, Debbie, and I'm sure this isn't the last time we'll be talking to you in terms of rheumatology and wounds. Thank you, Debbie. Been most enjoyable having a listen to uh, to what you've had to say, and we will definitely get you back. I think that wraps up this episode of the Wound Doctors. Thank you, Doctor Fran. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Rod. And thank you, Debbie. Been fabulous to have you aboard, and uh, we're looking forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, delighted to come back any time you'll have me, guys. Thank you. You, you will regret that one day, Debbie. Did you <laughs> said that? <laughs> that I can almost promise you. That's it for the Wound Doctors. We'll be back to do it all again next time.